You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Okay, if you've got um if you've got a Bible or if you, you know, you kind of know it's going to be on the screens, so you haven't bought a Bible, it's going to be on the screens. And so John, we're going to look at John 13 today, which is the story of where Jesus um washes the disciples' feet. Okay? So John 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, we're going to skip on to verse 12. There we go. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Feet are disgusting, aren't they? They, they are disgusting. Um, but here in this passage, we see Jesus do a humbling, powerful Thing and he he gets down and he washes his disciples' feet and it's an incredible example for us, especially because these disciples' feet weren't like our feet. You know, I don't know about you, but I wash my feet. They get showered every day. Uh, I change my socks every day, sometimes twice, and I change my shoes up every now and then. Um, and even if you have beautiful, moisturized, pedicured feet like Antley. You, your your feet are still disgusting because they're feet, and um, the disciples wouldn't have had any of those luxuries, any of these modern luxuries. But Jesus still performs this incredible, humble, prophetic act of service, washing their repulsive, repugnant feet. And often, when Jesus does things in Scripture, often when Jesus does things in the Gospels, we can left, we can be left wondering why. Why, Jesus, have you done this? Why have you said this? Why, you know, he he doesn't always make it totally clear, right? But this is one of those occasions where he does. And it says very clearly at the end here in verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus is wanting us to be humble. Jesus is wanting us to be servants. Jesus is wanting us to give ourselves to others. And most of us are highly aware of the value of loving people, of being selfless and generous. Yet we find it so hard to actually do it, to be humble, to serve completely. So what we're going to look at today is just how. How do we become like Jesus? How do we become like the one who put aside his glory to come and to serve and to love? And the answer is very simple. The answer, as is the answer with all questions in the Christian life, the answer is that you need to try really hard. 
really, really hard. And if you try really, really hard, then you'll, you'll achieve it and everything will be fine. That's, that's, the, that's the message. Is that the message? No. That's, that's not how we become more like Jesus. Trying really hard is, I mean, it's part of it, but it's, it, that's not how it happens. But in this, in this scripture, in verse, three of, um, in verse 3 of chapter 13 that we've just read, G- Jesus shows us, or John shows us, what Jesus knew, what Jesus understood that allowed him to serve and love the way he did. And it's in verse 3. And verse 3 says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and washed the disciples' feet. And it's very deliberate here. It says, he knew these three things. And so, knowing those three things, therefore, because he knew these things, he could serve. Because he understood these things, because he didn't, you know, it was a head knowledge, but it was also a heart knowledge and a deep, profound understanding of these three things, he could do what he did. He could serve, he could love, he could give. And these three insights Jesus had were that all things were under his power, that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. And we're going to look at how these three insights help us, help us, and help release us to serve in the way that Jesus served, and with the same kind of humility. So first up, Jesus knew that all things were under his power. This first insight Jesus has, this first understanding that Jesus has that allows him to serve, is one of his authority. That he is king, he is lord, he rules over all. Nothing can oppose him, nothing can stop him. Everything will bow to him. This is the authority that Jesus has given to us. Jesus has given us authority. He has given us his authority. In Luke 9, um, verse 1, it says, um, Jesus gives his disciple the authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And Matthew makes the same point in the Great Commission in chapter 28, where he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go with my authority to make disciples of all nations. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a follower and a believer in him, you have been given his authority. You have been given his authority. But how does that, how does that let me be like Jesus? How does that allow me to be like Jesus? How does that allow me to love? And the thing about having his authority is that you... It frees us because it means you no longer have to worry about your authority. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter what role you have. It doesn't matter what office you hold. It doesn't matter what education you have or what family you came from. You have his authority. So your earthly authority or lack of earthly authority no longer matters. Having that freedom of his authority allows you to serve. It allows you to wash people's feet because it doesn't matter where you are viewed on the ladder of human success. You can be viewed at the bottom, right at the bottom, as one who washes other people's feet, as one who serves others, as one that puts everyone else before themselves. And it doesn't matter that you're viewed like that because you have his authority, not yours. It's not about where you end up on that ladder. It's about his authority 
And that allows you to do whatever, to do whatever you need to do. The second insight Jesus has was this. Let's switch there. Jesus knew that he had come from God. Jesus understood his authority and Jesus knew his identity. Jesus knew that he had come from God. He had come from the Father. He was his. He was chosen by the Father. He was unconditionally loved by him. And understanding this is key. Jesus knew who he was. He was God's son. So how does that equate? How does Jesus knowing his identity in the Father allow him to love and serve? And I think it's because of this. I think it's because to know who you are is to be free. To know who you are is to be free. It's to be free from all the competing voices that we have in this world. The voices who are trying to tell us who we are. Free from advertisers constantly trying to get us to define ourselves or find ourselves in whatever it is we buy. Knowing who you are sets you free. It sets you free from what other people say and think. It allows you to be yourself and to do whatever it is you need to do. Ask yourself this question. What would your life be like? What would your life be like if you had no fear of anything other people thought of you? What would your life be like if you had no fear of anything other people thought of you? What would your life be like if you had no fear of anything other people said about you? I'll tell you what it would be like. It would be very different, right? Your life would be very different. So much of the fear that we have in our lives is fear of embarrassment, is fear of humiliation, is fear of rejection, fear of shame. And so what we do is we spend our lives avoiding those things, avoiding embarrassment, humiliation, rejection, and shame. I'm going to tell you what may be the most embarrassing thing that's happened to me. Um... I was 18 years old. It's always a good start for embarrassing stories. I was 18 years old, and um, uh, I just finished high school, and I was going to visit a friend at university, and he lived in Leeds, which was about three, four hours north of London, where I lived. And um, so I got on a train and uh, went up to Leeds, and um, on the train on the way up, it was it was kind of bumpy, and um, there was a girl sitting just in front of me, and what ended up happening was a bag ended up falling from, you know, where you put your bags at the top. And it ended up falling on her head and she was like, cried a little bit and it was, it was a bit sad. And, you know, I felt bad, you know, I, you know, just because you do, you know, when you're me, you feel bad. Um, and um, uh, anyway, so I had a great time in Leeds and I was on the train on the way home. And... Um, the same thing, the same scene is playing out in front of me. There's this girl who happened to be a pretty girl just in front of me. And um, I, I noticed that it, on the bumpy train that the, the bags were moving again. But this bag, uh, above her, wasn't a bag. It was like a briefcase, 
Okay, and so I thought to myself, well, I should just go up and put that back, make sure it's safe and secure so she doesn't get hurt. But I had a better plan. And my plan was, I'm going to wait until it falls. And then I'm going to catch it and save the day. Yeah? So I wait and I wait and I wait. And it teeters, it teeters. And nobody else is, no, no one else is paying any attention. It just teeters, it teeters, it teeters. And then it does. It drops. And I leap up, put my hand out, palm away the briefcase, and it flies out the open window. And I'm kind of looking at her. She's kind of looking at me. It's, it's not going how I thought it would. And so I sat back down. <laughs> and, I, and I did what anyone would with the kind of level of character and integrity that I have. And that is I got off at the next stop and waited for the next train. No one said anything. Everyone's watching just in stunned silence. If, I don't know whose it was. They didn't, they didn't say a thing. And uh, I, I kind of got off embarrassed and ashamed. <laughs> often we step out and we try and do things and often we step out and we get embarrassed and we get ashamed and we get rejected, we get humiliated. And that shuts us down, right? It shuts us down from doing it again. It shuts us down from stepping out. For us to operate in the authority of God, we need to understand our identity in God. For us to operate in the authority of God, we need to understand our identity in God. What gives the Queen of England her authority? Is it her robes? Is it her crown? Is it her palaces? No, it's not. It's the fact that she is who she is. She was born royalty. She will die royalty. God bless her. Um, in the next chapter, Jesus says, in the next chapter, Jesus says, I do not speak these words of my own authority. I do not speak these words of my own authority as a rabbi or a teacher, but rather it is the Father living in me. Jesus is saying, my authority not comes from the position I hold, but it comes from who I am. It comes from whose I am. I am the Father's. And that gives me the authority. And John, the writer of this gospel, has a keen understanding of the relationship between identity and authority. In the opening chapter of this book, John makes the status of our adoption clear where he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are now able to be children of God. Paul describes this as adoption. We are adopted into his family. Let me give you a little in insight into preparing a sermon is like what often happens is like I'll get an idea of what I think God's saying you know something I've read in scripture and I feel like okay let's let's prepare this and then you do it and you're starting preparing you're reading some stuff and you know and eventually you might even read something that makes you think hang on a minute I'm actually doing something that's true <laughs> you know rather than I'm not just making this up this is something that's true and I had a little moment like this when I was reading about this verse here in John 1 where it says yeah I read about it because I wanted to say something about adoption 
I wanted to say that we are adopted into the family of God, and this is our identity. We have been adopted into the family of God. And this is our identity. But as I was reading about it, there's, the, there's one word in here, and it's the word, it's a Greek word that's um, it's exousia. And it's, it's the word the right. And where it says he gave the right to become the children of God. The word that's used for the right is exousia. And the word exousia means, thank Jesus, authority. It means authority. Ka-ching! That's a win for the sermon. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm saying something true. Um, John understands that authority and identity are linked. And that when we become children of God, we, we are also given his authority. His authority. We have the right to become children of God, but we also have the authority that comes with that right. So Jesus understood his authority and he understood his identity. The third thing Jesus knew. Jesus knew he was returning to God. We see here that Jesus not only understood his authority and his identity, but he also understood his destiny. In order for us to give what needs to be given, and for Jesus that was everything, his life. In order for us to give what needs to be given, we also need to be secure in our destiny. This is what allows us to invest our lives in the things that are eternal, in the things that are unseen, knowing that whatever the earth offers is just passing, but the kingdom of God is forever. And as an Australian gladiator who, as we now know, apparently can't sing very well as a Frenchman, once said, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. It is this understanding that frees us from the materialism that envelops our culture. It means we are free from collecting things. It means we are free from the selfishness that we so easily fall into. If you want to learn how to love people like Jesus did, if we want to learn how to serve people, like Jesus did, if we want to learn how to give everything like Jesus did, if we want to learn how to see the kingdom of God like Jesus did and more, we need to understand the authority that comes from our identity in him and the destiny that we have in Jesus. It's what frees us. It's what sets us free to be able to give everything. 